exciting edition of the After Hours, as tonight we look at the sequel to Knives Out, Glass Onion, directed by Rian Johnson. Um, the mystery thriller, uh, The Turn of Detective Benoit Blanc, uh, played by Daniel Craig, uh, in the second of the Knives Out mysteries. Um, this time, see Benoit Blanc is invited to a private Greek island hosted by the tech billionaire Miles Bryron, who's invited his friends for a getaway and a murder mystery weekend on his private Greek island, only for not everything to be as it seems. So, Kim, we've obviously covered Knives Out on our previous episode, mm-hmm. and I think we were both a fan of that one. Yes. And then, obviously, this one comes out in time for Christmas here. And well, it's 25th of November, so essentially it's, it's in that Christmas viewing block, really, isn't it? So, And, um, yeah, I have to say, I, I'm really interested to see what uh, what you make of this one. I mean, obviously, with this one, it's it feels a little more obvious in who it's uh, throwing knives at, shall we say. Um, as obviously it's a stab at uh, the tech billionaires like Elon Musk, who in this case of uh, the the film's uh, own tech billionaire, um, surrounds himself with a variety of colourful characters, um, who we will get into as we get into this. But uh, here he's played by Edward Norton, and he has a variety of friends from various circles of uh, life who are all drawn together on this uh, island with Benoit Blanc being the odd one out as he wasn't really supposed to be there and he has to uncover why he was invited in the first place so um, opening thoughts on this one Kim what did you think of uh, Glass Onion? I think you're right that Glass Onion is a little bit more obvious or at least it feels that way but at the same time I think that it was a lot of fun for me, I, I mean, I had a lot of fun and I really liked the fact that I was deducting things as I was going along and having like feelings about certain things. And then everything that I felt like questionable at the beginning and like, you know, that breaking point where Benoit Blanc figures out this whole thing was actually something that came through my own mind. Um, we're going to talk about that later, I'm sure. And it was nice to like, you know, as he debunks this thing that every little bit was like they made me doubt myself and then they were like oh yeah but you were right you know <laughs> type of thing <laughs> and i really like that feeling i guess um it was and because of that it was really fun like all the characters had their own thing and i really liked you know obviously it's like you said like um it's taking a stab at like tech billionaires like you know e- elon musk yeah but uh, at the same time, you know, you're <laughs> the there's so much like this Benoit Blanc is so different from, say, the Benoit Blanc that was in Knives Out. He has this whole different uh, vibe to him and dynamic in how he acts and the way he talks. And um, and just because just like, you know, I think a really great point is having this set during the pandemic. So when you have this set during the pandemic, you kind of bring it into reality a little bit more and at the same time you kind of like as you're watching because I think what the pandemic did is it made you realize the degrees that like the type of people that would be there and right at that beginning scene I think that's one of the great moments where 
you kind of place where everybody is in regards to, you know, how much of, I guess, the disruptor term that they say they are by just like the type of mask they're wearing or, you know, the type of person that they are through what they're wearing that day. And it's one of those really great things, I think, that, you know, Ryan Johnson has when he makes this makes these films is there's that like detail that that he focuses on that that's just you know like these little things that 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 work in the long run and yeah i mean when it comes to ryan johnson i mean i've always enjoyed his projects away from star wars uh things such as you know from his initial debut brick and the brothers bloom uh fruit and knives out looper was a bit of an odd one um so i put that to kind of one side but when we obviously look at Knives Out, I, the thing which really surprised me the most about Glass Onion is just how straightforward this mystery is um, compared to his other other mysteries, which have they sort of let you. He sort of feels like he adds layers upon layers to them, and then at the end, sort of like reveals it all, and it's got a very sort of classic Agatha Christie sort of style to it. And when it came to Glass Onion, it felt that he was try- certainly trying something different in his approach to the mystery at this time. Uh, as you said already, I mean, this one's set during the co- the COVID-19 pandemic. So all these various disruptors, as um, as he calls them, are being brought together for this uh, escape from their humdrum lives, even though they've, they live these rather glamorous humdrum lives, it has to be said. And we have this wonderful opening where they're each given this box that has these numerous puzzles they have to solve to receive their invitation. And I thought that was such a wonderful scene, and I just loved how that set up. It sort of like creates this mystique around this um, this character that they're going to go and go and see, uh, Miles. And it you can see like it's the sort of thing that you could see like someone like Elon Musk doing. I mean, the fact that Elon Musk hooked up with his uh, previous wife Lords uh, because they sent some nerdy joke to each other over Twitter so you can see this character very much based on that sort of Musk model um, so the fact he sends out this invite and it's like seven you got to sell seven puzzles to get to the invite you could sort of it really sort of puts you in the mind frame of who they're sort of aiming at and then when you look at all these so-called disruptors we've got like a a scientist, we've got a Connecticut governor, we've got a fashion designer, a men's rights streamer, um, and the former founder of the company, uh, Cassandra. And then we've got the, obviously the wild card here, which is Benoit Blanc. And it's kind of fun when you see where Benoit Blanc is sort of spending his time in the lockdown because obviously he's a master detective and it's like <laughs> what does a master detective do if he's got no cases he can be solved and apparently he sits in the bath all day playing uh, amongst us <laughs> which i really like i love the fact that he hates mystery games he prefers actual cases and we see him um when we see his little uh, board of people he's playing amongst us with and he's there complaining he's like it's a stupid game it makes no sense <laughs> you just walk in the room and accuse someone and then we look at the board and we've got um, the first of the many great cameos that this film has in here 
Um, we've got Angela Lansbury, obviously Murder She Wrote. So we've got Natasha Leone, who is obviously in Russian Doll, and she's now doing a project with uh, Rian Johnson, which is going to be on Peacock. And we got Kareem Abdul Jabbar, who just keeps turning up in nerdy things. Mm-hmm. Like he's playing D&D in the Big Bang Theory and now he's playing amongst us. And I just love the fact that, as I said, he's so depressed he just spends all his time sitting in the bath playing this <laughs> this game. Yeah, and um, then there's Stephen Sondheim, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, two of these people have now left us <laughs> in this world, so... The fact that they don't just let this joke go, they also like say, oh, you must be great at Cluedo. And he's like, that's a stupid game. And I think it's kind of way it's kind of nice with this one, the fact that we were moving Benoit Blanc from when we originally introduced Knives Out, he's sort of like part of a larger group of detectives. And this time it's sort of like he's more the Poirot-esque character. It's sort of like he is the master detective. We don't have all these other um, people who are sort of like assisting him, so to speak, who can be like associated with like being the assistant with the detective parts. It's now it's just like we've got Benoit Blanc, private investigator. We know... Um, the sort of setup there, and I think it's great. Him, his character feels like it's got more room to breathe in this one. I felt. Mm. Um, I also appreciate the fact he's in a relationship with Hugh Grant. Yes. <laughs> in another great cameo, um, the cameos in this film are really fantastic. I mean, you've got Ethan Hawke, who appears as Miles' assistant, uh, which I didn't re- recognize until someone pointed it out for me. The fact <laughs> that uh, Jason Godin Levitt voices the clock that bongs on the island <laughs> yes so these so these weird little um cameos and you have like serena williams in there and yo yo ma they're a little more uh, sort of subtle there so i kind of liked those ones in there i mean serena williams one was super funny uh. <laughs> she's the trainer war isn't she <laughs> and and i think it's just you know I think this one is it's meant to be different though because I was I was watching after I finished a movie I was watching a few interviews and and uh, kind of behind the scenes and sort of thing mm. where Ryan Johnson was talking about basically that every single case he wants to take it like Agatha Christie does with um, her cases with Hercule Poirot which is every single one is approached in a different way there's like a different vibe to it and a different dynamic to it and different approach to the whole case and he's going to do the same thing for the next one where it's going to take a completely different direction where it's not going to be the same as the first two and I think that that's really interesting because this one I feel like is more of a comedy there's so much more like fun little moments in there yeah where you know whether it's just and and it all makes sense because when you come to the final thing and I don't want to jump all the way there but I mean when you get to the final thing the whole thing makes sense because it's all like a joke right it's a bit of a joke yeah. and everybody on the island feels a bit like a joke and starting from you know them talking about this whole disruptor theory talking about um, all these little things about like what they do and and the type of people they are and especially when you talk about you know like Kate Hudson's character is Birdie and, and the things that she you know misinterprets as like this kind of like a bird brain um and you know you have all these things and they and you have this you know like her her assistant which is just always one step behind her and it's all of this adds together and there's this like really funny vibe to the whole whole movie um 
and and I and I really like it for for that because you know when we were doing Knives Out, Knives Out was so serious, right? It was right from the top. You were in this interrogation one after the other. There was a bit of you know um, dark humor in it, but overall, you know, it was still pretty serious of a case as you got to know everybody. And Benoit Blanc wasn't like uh, popping up jokes and being all like you know relaxed and. And it was really like, you know, by the end when he was, when he was breaking down the case to everybody in this, you know, this island that, that he started being really serious. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this one, he certainly feels more out of his element than he does in Knives Out. Um, certainly, as with Knives Out, it's a fantastic ensemble cast that we have here. But I totally agree with yourself in the fact that Knives Out was much more of a Cluedo-esque mystery. Um, you obviously had the had the murder, and you had the sus- had the suspects here, and this one, as you said, it's got much more of a comedy slant to it. The fact that Benoit Blanc manages to fi- figure out the murder mystery straight away, yeah. uh, much to much <laughs> much to the frustration of Miles, who's like spent all this time setting up what he thinks is like this unsolvable mystery. He's brought in Karen Gillingham. Uh, right, Gong um, Gongo to help script this mystery, and uh, he's managed to ruin the whole weekend by solving it straight away. But I I don't know if you feel this way, but like when you think deeper about it, I feel like this one makes like Benoit Blanc such a more vibrant character. Like you know a lot more about him. Like you start understanding him a little bit more just right from the bat, right? You know, as he's doing Among Us, and then. As he's going through this, you realize that, you know, he's calling these mystery games dumb. And he's just like, I'm just really bad at dumb things, you know, like dumb games. And and then you start piecing it together. And as you get to, you know, the big, the big twist of what's going on and how he's solving this thing, you start realizing that everything that he says in the beginning, um, and even that, you know, the big disruptor speech becomes this, like, key element to a huge foreshadow the what the to what is going to be uh revealed at the end and it's so nice to see like i, I and, and that's what i really like about ryan johnson is his writing is there's like all these little details all these little foreshadows and they all kind of call back to each other and he he's able to bring all those little things together and everything connects at the end and it's not like, you know, you're looking for the pieces and stuff like that. You you can really... And that's something I really appreciate from Glass Onion. And it is one of that, you know... I really like the, the line where he talks about, you know, like, he can't solve it. And he has to, like, peel back layer and layer and stuff like that. This whole Benoit Blanc before he solves the thing. And I, that was, like, my favorite line. I really love the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I think, if anything, my, one of my main criticisms with the film is just that while it initially sort of sets 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 up what could potentially be like a really interesting mystery this time the mystery is a lot more simple and it's more about the character interactions with each other Mm -hmm. Uh, my other frustrating point to the film is the fact that it sort of hits a halfway point and then we rewind and essentially go back to the start again Mm -hmm. and yes there are some interesting moments in there such as how one character approaches solving the puzzle box by just taking a hammer to it Mm-hmm. And how we learn how Benoit Blanc came to be at the island. So those elements are, are fun, but the rest of the time it felt at times it felt like we were just sort of padding out the runtime, um, and that perhaps it could have been approached in a different way. This sort of flashback segment. 
it just felt uh, like we were needlessly going backwards when we should just still be going forwards. Um, that being said, I really enjoyed like all these characters that have been assembled here. I mean, obviously, one of the charming things about Knives Out was the fact that you had this colourful cast of characters who all could very much have carried out this murder. And I think when it comes to Glass Onion, we don't necessarily get a stronger group of suspects this time, but we get a really interesting group of characters to follow. And it's kind of a shame, really, because the as we're leading up to up to what could potentially be the actual murder here, um, there are all such interesting sort of characters to go there. But then once the murder happens, even though we've been given like various motives for things, we've actually been given motives for a murder that's not going to happen. So they kind of like uh, end up just being a bunch of sort of it becomes almost like a screwball comedy at that point once the actual murder happens in the film as you these uh these colorful characters but as i said you're not really suspecting any of them because at that point you kind of have and i'm trying to avoid spoilers here you kind of already have your mind made up of like the one who who's responsible even though the film would like you to think that it could be any of these characters it sort of becomes the point where you just sort of like of viewing this one character and it's more just of how they chose to do it at least that was why i was sort of viewing it from my my standpoint i am curious who you thought it was because like you 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 because the thing is like i don't know i think i, I feel the same way i don't feel like it was padded out because i had a really like i didn't think i didn't feel as long as it was okay um i that was something that i felt different about i i enjoyed the flashback it's something that i really like about movies um I like that, you know, clever moment where you open somewhere and then you kind of do that roundabout and you come back to it. Okay. Uh, it's something that I really appreciate in movies. I think it's like clever writing when you can do that. Um, obviously, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, just a different uh, different feeling about it, I guess. Uh, because you, you change your point of view when you do it, right? The point of view kind of changes. And, and if the things that happens at the beginning, you kind of the odd things that happen start coming to light. And that's something that I think that the flashback did, which was really good. Um, but I understand where you're saying it co coming from, because like I said, I already kind of had a feeling where who was responsible. Yeah. Um, despite like, you know, the change of the thing, because you know what it was, was I, while it's not a Hercule Poirot mystery, it reminded me a lot of Agatha Christie's, um, and there were none, and then there were none. Yeah, like that. I can't remember anything. And um, and and as I was thinking about that, because they were going on an island and stuff like that, and it's never referred to as it's like an inspiration or anything for this movie, but because it's one of the few Agatha Christie's that I've read, yeah. this one reminded me a lot of that. And then I kind of started feeling like, you know, I had an idea where they were trying to go, right? Um. I think at one point we're going to have to go with the spoilers, though. <laughs> but we're going to go through, like, some of the, the rest of the stuff first. I, I still think it was fun because, like, when you... Even though they did all that padding and they went back, I think it was just really great that they kind of made me doubt myself a little. And then they kind of, like... Because you kind of set up that stage where you're like, okay, well, this person is, you know, you're there for the purpose of solving the mi murder mystery of Miles Braun. And that's... Hit. that's the reason everybody's there that's the point of the murder 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 mystery party that they're at yeah and then you know obviously benoit blanc like you says he solves it right away and so he ruins the whole weekend basically <laughs> it doesn't happen um so now the question is 
well, is Miles still going to die? Or is someone else going to, or is something else going to happen, right? Yeah. There's only two ways that this is going to go. So now you come to the, now now it comes to the, okay, well, they wanted to kill Miles, but they killed someone else. And now it comes to, and then, and then now you're thinking, well, okay, well, who wants to kill Miles is still the question. Because that's, that's the misdirection that they're trying to create, right? Um, like, was it, was it because of him or was it just because of the person himself that did something and someone's trying to attack them? So, like, the, the motive is, becomes this thing where you keep thinking it's one way, but they're trying to send you on this other way type of thing. And I think it's, I think it's still pretty clever in that whole sense where you're doing this and, and you kind of, like, still have that, you know, the suspect in your mind. But then it's kind of like, well, how are we going to get there? You know, like, how does it happen that this gets there, right? And the fact that, you know, I think that because we are more like we write a lot and, you know, we read a lot and we have we have that sort of like that that I guess that uh, instinct. Yeah. The mystery here becomes a little bit more obvious because you catch those little things that was the key to how Benoit Blanc solved the mystery. That's okay. that's how I feel. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about what you think, but <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, it's just like I say when that first one, you sort of like you're in the you build up of like, oh, Miles is going to get murdered, and then you've got all these different sort of setups. It's sort of like, oh, Duke's girlfriend is involved. Is uh, we see getting involved with Miles. It's sort of like, well, he's got a motive there, and then this mm-hmm. character was like was burned by uh, Miles, so she you know she's got a motive for killing him. So you got this sort of setup, and then. Obviously, Miles doesn't die, but another character does, and that's where it becomes sort of like a little confusing. But the, to the film's credit, it does obviously rescue it by instead providing a different um, a different mystery here, and obviously providing why the characters would all be so loyal to Miles instead, mm-hmm. which is um, provides that great reveal that uh, Benoit Blanc provides at the end, which is obviously you know, provides us that Poirot moment of uh, reveal that we obviously see in, like, Murder on the Orient Express, and where it's sort of like, everything's just, uh, everything's laid out for us, um, and... <laughs> I, and, oh, that is, that is, I swear, that is, like, you know, as much as Knives Out was so fun to watch him do the reveal, whew, this one was, you know, so entertaining, that whole, like, monologue that he has, the whole, like, reveal, like speech oh, hmm. i just love i just love it so much i like i i actually go back and rewatch just that part oh really <laughs> yeah i mean his uh accent um he's once again has that, that charming southern accent um the original the original concept was that he was going to change accents with each yeah, film i know so i'm kind of glad that they stuck with the, the southern accent and instead just built that character out and had um, added those details, those little personal details we would have missed like the first time. So, yeah, yeah. Um, now, with the group and that, uh, did you have any particular favorite players in this one? Because um, I had a couple of characters that I, re- I, I really sort of stood out here for myself. I mean, I think everybody was pretty balanced. Um, I'm a, I personally, I'm a big fan of Janelle Monae, yeah. so I, I really, really like her. Um, I feel like you know she's she's such an underrated actress uh, that I I thought that and, and I thought this the the role that she did here was really really good um, you know obviously Edward Norton is is like 
very very good at what he does it's like it's like something that he's very good at being an ass <laughs> very very good at it it's kind um, of like if fight club's narrator was successful in life that's that's where it kind of felt like in a way it's like if uh the narrator from fight club had not been the like at the lower end had had success in life i think he would have turned out as miles braun it felt like a almost like an alternate uh universe version of that character yeah basically right um, um, I mean, you even when you even look at like you know Kate Hudson's character, like I was so she's happy so to see her. political incorrect, politically incorrect, and you know that it's just so ridiculous. You know, like just that whole like talk about her sweatshop and stuff. <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. What she thought a sweatshop was, you know, like it's just it's just it's hard to fathom. But every single character here is kind of playing on, I guess, a little bit of reality, like mocking a little bit of reality. Whether you're talking about, you know, like. Um, Dave Bautista's character mm. um, as you know the streamer and uh, men's right activist he's kind of flipping the, the thing right because people are more women's rights activists right it's really tapping into that sort of um, almost like that sort of incel culture the uh, men regain the masculinity we saw it with Tom Cruise's character in Magnolia mm-hmm. as well and it's kind of funny to see it coming back around again um, and Dave Bautista obviously perfectly suited for that, I mean, he's great in a supporting role. I'm not still not convinced him as a leading actor, a leading man. Um, but I think he's really great, and I think what makes his character so great is the scenes he has with Jackie Hoffman, who plays his mother. Um, <laughs> and Jackie Hoffman is just so fantastic at being that overbearing sort of Jewish mother, to, like her strong like Brooklyn accent, and yeah. the fact she's just constantly bristling <laughs> this big six foot guy. And he's sort of like, Mom! <laughs> he's like trying to present himself as like this, you know, this um, this alpha male. He's this successful uh, streamer and stuff. But his mum's like constantly shuts him down because <laughs> she knows he still lives at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it, was just, it was just so great because, you know, he, they're solving this box and then she's just solved it like before they get there. Yeah. <laughs> um. So and obviously when it comes to obviously Miles's uh, place, I mean he's got the Mona Lisa, he's got all these little grass sculptures, he's got a house that runs on this uh, clear fuel. Um, so it's sort of like it again. It just plays into that whole tech billionaire thing, and the fact that the head scientist his his thing being that you know he's essentially faking to he makes it, which is so reminiscent to so much we've seen from like the Silicon Valley and things such as like. Um, we've seen like so many so many companies, especially tech startups, where they're sort of like the saying stuff works and it doesn't until and they're basically lie until they get the investment they need and then figure out how to fix it. Um, I'm trying to think of the prime example, which is obviously the uh, the inventor out for Blood in the Valley about the that box that uh, could diagnose your blood to use a pinprick of blood to uh, diagnose your your blood um i can't remember her name because i know there's a series on um i think the imposter on disney plus but yeah it was just basically the case where it was sort of like yeah it didn't work in the slightest but she had like billions of pounds of investment in this product that didn't work but she was just lying about it until it did so there's a lot of uh, things which are very sort of reminiscent in this group um but was there anyone that stood out for you like which character did you think was a standout I mean, uh, you've named her already. I think Birdie is a, a standout. I was really happy to see Kate Hudson again. 
Um, Catherine and Han is just always great, but I think yeah. Dave Bautista's scenes with Jackie Hoffman are just like my favorite moments of this whole film. Um, my other favorite character who's just like more of a side character was uh, Noah Segan's Detroit, who's just a slacker <laughs> who lives on the island. He just appears <laughs> randomly. You keep thinking he's going to have some bigger depth or meaning to his character, but no, he's just a slacker who lives on the island. Yeah, but I think, I, but you know, this is like a signature of of the part of Knives Out mystery now, right? I mean, he appeared in Knives Out before, um, also as sure. a side character that showed up all the time, and then right now he's on this, and it's it, it's interesting that he's using this as like, uh, you know, kind of like a signature of of a Knives Out mystery. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and I also like appreciate the changing location. I mean, obviously, when we look at Knives Out, that's in out in the uh, countryside. It's the big manor, and mm-hmm. this one we're out in the sort of like more tropical locale. Yeah, the Greek islands. Yeah, exactly. So it's um, it's it's kind of nice to have that change in have such a shift in location rather than having something, you know, in a city just to go somewhere sunny, was kind of nice. So. So I definitely appreciated, uh, definitely, definitely appreciated that. So, yeah, at this point, it's really uh, you. You start wondering, right? Like, what other character, what other actor, like, what other big ensemble they're going to be able to get together for the next one? <laughs> it's true. You always wonder when you have a big ensemble. It's sort of like, well, who's going to be in the next one? And at the same time, you don't want it to be like predictable. Yeah. Like a bunch of actors, you know, are just sort of like there to sort of prop up the the career which i think was the case when we looked at jackie brown in the fact that there were so many of those cast members it felt that they were sort of like included because they're trying to hop on that revival train and like people like michael keaton mm-hmm. it didn't feel like they belonged uh whereas obviously people like pam Greer did they sort mm. of fitted in with that tarantino world but it's like and when you look at like the making of uh, jackie brown and you see why he included like michael keaton because he's in um out of sight and it was a way for him to tie all the um the world together that of the um uh, of Elmer Leonard's books so it made sense in in retrospect but at the time I was sort of like why is Michael Keaton here this is such a, a trying to hop on the revival wagon move but I think, as I said, I kind of Rian Johnson always has such interesting casts in his films. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Gordon uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets to do more than be like off-screen voice cameo. I feel like I might be working up to it. It's just gonna build up to it, like in the. I, I feel like you know. I feel like the next one we're gonna see like Hugh Grant play a bigger part because it's not gonna be like he's there just you know as the you know as his partner that. Maybe the next time he's going to have a bigger role is what I feel. But I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> so we're obviously on the idea of, like, dream cast, should we say. Is there any particular actors you would like to see in a Knives Out mystery? Because, I mean, for myself, Alfred Molina would I would be someone I would love to see in this. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other actors I think that would be fun, like... Someone like um, like Willem Dafoe be fun, but at the same time, I don't know if Willem Dafoe's like too intense for like the subtlety of a Rian Johnson movie. He's more like a Abel Ferreira. Oh, then again, someone like Christopher Walken would be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, 
maybe again um, and since we obviously had I don't remember her name now uh, Jim Lee Curtis in the first one maybe we can get Michelle Yeoh in for the third one <laughs> I, but then again I just want to cast Michelle Yeoh in everything, <laughs> everything really it's all like you know, you know it would be a dream cast for you Michelle Yeoh Aquafina. Aquafina would be good but again it's it's sort of like trying to find a role for Aquafina because she's very sort of um, she plays a very certain a certain sort of role and it's sort of like how would that role fit within a Rian Johnson sort of movie I'm sure it can. Like, if you think about this cast of characters, like, it wasn't exactly like you know a lot of the more super serious characters. Like, yeah. there, there's always like a flair of comedy in it, and I think that uh, Aquafina's been taking on obviously since she's done the farewell. You do know that she has a little bit more of a serious acting in her. Of as course, well. it would be. I think it would. I think it would really like open up what she can do. You know, like showcase what she can, what she's capable of. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, obviously, if we're talking about, like, you obviously mentioned already, we go with Michelle Yeoh. Maggie Chung would be, obviously, the dream casting, but she's happy being retired at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I don't know. I Maybe, like, Dustin Hoffman, perhaps? I could see... I haven't of... seen Dustin Hoffman in a really long time. So <laughs> see, so it's time... So, like, where have like, you been? you would be looking at... Like it would be where he would be doing a mystery where we're focusing on a lot of older, like some older, I don't know, at a senior home or something. I don't, know. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> oh, Kim, so mean to these. These had to say they're going to be in a senior home. No, but I'm just saying, like, if you were to do that, like, in what situation would you have like a bunch of like old people and as their cast? As I mean, they're all great actors. But you would have to have them in a certain scenario where they they'd be able to be there, right? I would say and, that certainly it's going to be like a more an aristocracy sort of gathering. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be where I would sort of see them, and it kind of fits within the, when we've looked at these two films. They've all been like this detective going into these worlds of power. Uh, in the first one, it was old money, and this one, it's very new money. Um, mm-hmm. So. Again, I can, and it fits. Seeing as he's like so linked with his sort of like the way he structures his movies into that uh, Agatha Christie style, it's very easy to sort of think of like aristocracy style plays. But then again, he could go in a completely different direction and do something like another modern group um, of characters. Maybe that will be how to put uh, Benoit Blanc out of his element again. I mean, who would be, for yourself, pe- sort of actors you would like to see? I mean, I just thought about it and I was like, like, I'd like to see Shersha Ronan. Like, okay. I really like her. I think that she she could, she would be great in one of these. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. Apparently my mind's gone blank. So I can't really right. remember anybody. And then obviously the... Uh, you can, I mean, you can go even more obscure. You could have people like Anthony Wong, uh, Bitakachi Katano. These sort of like, for, my, for some reason, I'm going to all my favorite Asian actors at the moment tonight. Is <laughs> I was like, we're doing an international thing, right? This, we're setting this in Asia. <laughs> apparently, we're going international, but they're either from Japan or Hong Kong. Uh, <laughs> Okay, well, you know, maybe we'll do like a, a triad mystery, you know, like a triad that would mafia be yakuza mystery. Um, and I'm trying to remember who played the Jew Hunter now um, in Inglorious Bastards. 
Christoph. Christoph Waltz. Christoph yeah. Waltz, I could see, also being very good. Oh, that would be a really, that would be really good too, yeah. You know, because especially because he's got such flexibility. I mean, the man's like a human chameleon. He knows like <laughs> multiple languages and he's just got such flexibility in his performances. So I can see there's so many like roles you could put Christoph Waltz in. Hmm. Um, and then there's obviously. But you know what? I don't. I don't really want him to cast any old people in his movies. No. Because so far, all the people that he's worked with end up dying. Okay. Because <laughs> I think he's. Uh, I think right now he's at the point where he's like casted. I think he's already casted the final films, final roles of like four people between Knives Out and <laughs> Knives Out and uh, Glass Onion or something. Oh wow. Yeah. So you had Christopher Plummer, right? Yes. And then obviously you have this one, you have Stephen Sondheim, you have Angela Lansbury, and there's someone else that I can't remember. Just going for the... Creo uh, Dubajor is still alive. So... No, I'm not too sure who else is... <laughs> who is there's one more person I remember, but I can't remember what it is anymore. Okay. But, uh... Um, another person I think don't get get much attention when people have been talking about this film, uh, Jessica Henwick, who plays Birdie's assistant. Yes, I think she was really fantastic in this, and I really like her. I mean, I really like her. I liked her as Colleen Wing um, when she did Iron Fist. Um, See, I've not seen um, Iron Fist yet, so yeah, and and I really liked her in that. And that was when I first knew of her. Uh, so I was really happy to see her in this. And I've seen her in something else before. I just can't remember what. Uh, seen The Grey Man? She's also in Matrix. I Res- haven't seen The Grey Man yet. She's in Matrix no. Resurrections. Uh, oh, she's in Underwater. Underwater, yes. That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, and she's also in Love and Monsters, which is another film that nobody ever talks about. Love and Monsters, about. yeah. That's, uh, I have to watch that. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I oh, keep, wow. I keep seeing it pop up, and then uh, it's fallen so far in my list that I don't ever get to I don't remember it until I like scroll past it. It's the problem with uh, Netflix now. It just like bombards you with stuff, and you just like get overwhelmed and just rewatch The Office instead. <laughs> I know. That's like, how many times can I watch Enola Holmes? Uh, yeah. Apparently never enough. <laughs> or like Love and Leashes or something, you know? <laughs> Netflix gets really judging. It's like, do you still want to watch this? And it's like, how dare you judge me, Netflix? <laughs> there was a... When this film was uh, being in pre-production, there was a bidding war between Apple as well as uh, Amazon Prime. Netflix obviously have won the rights to this. Um, apparently it's a quite a baffling deal. Um, in the amount that are paid, but I think it's certainly paid off for Netflix because a lot of people watched it. Um, mm. And it's, I think it's be great to see Netflix just put out a, a bunch of these and hopefully not have one end on a cliffhanger that they never resolve, as is the Netflix model. Yes. <laughs> I really hope they don't do a cliffhanger. Knives Out mystery. To be honest, I just like. I doubt they will. I really doubt it. I don't. Th- I don't see that as like. Ryan Johnson's like style. It just it would just it just feels like a, that these are much more fun as like self-contained little mysteries. I think that's that's for myself how they seem they feel that they work better. So mm. so 
Yeah, because it's, it's fun to watch it as like a one shot, right? You don't you don't have to. It's standalone. It's something that I really appreciate, especially because Netflix has this like. Especially, it's good that this isn't a TV series because you know, like TV series never get re. Because they always come out and then like comes out with a bunch of other things and then some other things get you know super super a lot of like viewership and yeah. then that that thing that is supposed to be good isn't you know and then obviously because you know oh you know the first month people weren't watching it because you drop like fifty other TV shows at the same time you know like that's why people aren't watching it it's <laughs> annoying I mean they just recently canceled Inside like, Job I, which I, was I a remember, great like, show it was like recent yeah it was like recently they canceled what eighteen ninety nine I haven't watched it yet but I heard it was supposed to be pretty good right it looked pretty good. <laughs> It's, and then they cancelled it, and I was like, well, now do I watch it or not? <laughs> it is pretty astounding how the Netflix model works and the fact that they assume that everyone is just watching Netflix. There aren't, like, a billion other streaming services. <laughs> and even, like, on your TV now, it's not just what's on the TV. You have your box sets on there as well. So it's, yeah. like, everything just wants your attention at once. <laughs> it's like, there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> And we have actual living things to do, like real life stuff to deal with. Yeah. We don't sit around watching TV all day. I just know? found out there's 13 Lamb Before Time movies. Yes. I've yes, only yes, seen the is... first two. <laughs> oh, really? I'm at a... I, I, I watched until the eighth one, I think. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I own up to the eighth one. And then uh, and then I I know that there were a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They're still, they've been, they are still making them. As of the twenty sixteen, there was the last one that they brought out. So yeah, no, I have until the ninth one. I'm looking at my my movie collection movie. sitting next to me. <laughs> so maybe that'll be my project this year. I'm just gonna focus less on Netflix shows that don't ever get resolved, and just watch Land Before Time movies instead. While waiting Land Before for... Time, I'm gonna tell you, like Land Before Time, I watched up to the fifth, and they were pretty good. They were pretty solid up to the fifth. And then, I don't know, the sixth one, I, I think, was a little bit odd at that point. This it is, started getting really weird after that. This is going to be our new Shark Week, isn't it? We're just going to do Lamb, <laughs> Lamb Before Time Week instead. Hey, I, I'm, uh, I'm down for it. I have all of it up to the ninth. <laughs> so. You heard it here. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, um, yeah, but, but yeah, no, going back to uh, Glass <laughs> Onion. Um, I think it was, you know... I think, uh, do we have anything else to say about it? I enjoyed it. I really, I mean, uh, the mystery wasn't as strong as the first one. But outside of that, I enjoyed the performances. And I I generally enjoyed the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was a, I came away from this thinking like, well, this wasn't obviously like one of my top movies of last year I certainly enjoyed it enough and certainly had me excited enough to look forward to the next installment in this series um, mm. and I think Benoit Blanc is still a fantastic creation and by removing all the other distractions from that we had in the first film and just giving this character some room to breathe and yes. little personality quirks I think just really sort of like helped this character grow so much and just makes me all the more excited to go on another adventure with this character. Mm. Um, well, Hugh Grant just continues to put in bafflingly charming cameos. <laughs> it, it's so weird to hear you talk about like a British actor like that because you never seem to like this. Well, stuff. this is the thing. I think because Hugh Grant's uh, of that 90s era and he obviously 
he created this perception of what us Brits are like. We're just all like fumbling, stuttering, charming folk. Um, and then obviously he had that sort of rom-com period and now he just like turns up in interesting places. Like he was in Man from Uncle and now he's in, in this. And it's such a, a short, but it's, it's such a short camera, but it's so memorable at the same time. <laughs> in his like flower covered like apron that's what he's doing while while benoit blanc is sitting with his books and his computer in the bathtub all day he's sitting he's in the he's in the kitchen baking up a storm during the pandemic i assume he's making banana bread like everyone else was probably doing during <laughs> pandemic um and i love yeah. i love his off screen his off screen uh parts as well when he's like in the bath he's like you're not in the bath again are you and he's like no <laughs> um so yeah yeah no it, it, it's, it's a fun one it's a really really fun one and you know like if if you really enjoyed i i obviously watch this after but i think if you really enjoyed it go and watch the ryan johnson um it's like a va- it's on vanity fair where he does this breakdown of the first scene uh like where they're at the pier yes and it's so i, I think i sent it to you you did i don't know if you watched it yeah but uh, it's 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 like one of the really great moments is like when he catches um, one of the you know the I think one of the ca- the the crew members that that, st- that stood in for the for the little I don't know golf cart driver thing oh, right. and then he's like looking at the camera and he's like never do this <laughs> I thought that was so funny <laughs> no it's uh it, it is very it's it's such a I th- I had so much fun with this one I can't. I can't say that I like, you know, like I like Knives Out a lot, but I can see myself rewatching Glass Onion more just because it's so much fun. Yeah, you know that that's that's where I'm at, and that's what that was one of the reasons why I actually rated it very similarly. Um, but in the end, I think you know, like Knives Out still like nudged a little ahead for me just because of the like like you said the strength of the mystery was really was really that it really took you by surprise and the execution was just you know like you know like Mwah, so good so good you know type of thing <laughs> yeah there's a lot of subtle little details in there which i think really make it so charming such as like the fact is his car on the roof and um even though it's set during the pandemic that they clear off the fact that no one has to wear masks by giving them this magic antidote which i thought was yes. really clever it was so like it's fun the fact that they said it during the pandemic and then they found a way to work around the fact it's set in the pandemic hmm. um, that fits so perfectly within this world. You're sort of like, oh, I, I buy that. Um, so, yeah, I was... Um, I, I, I'm very ex- I'm excited to see where it, where it goes next, um, who he assembles for his cast, and um, certainly where the mystery is going to take us next. Maybe on a boat. Yeah. Or, or some form of transport, really, because obviously he's done the tropical mystery. He's done the, the big, um, the big old money house. So, you know. No, but then you know, see if he if he does any of these things, he's gonna need to find a way where it's not so similar to say Agatha Christie. If he's on a train, it can't be too similar to you know Murder on Orient Express. And then if he does it on a boat, it can't be too similar to you know Murder on the Nile. Yeah. So. so <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's 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 a tricky thing for him i think uh maybe a plane i don't know oh blimp we've not had a good blimp mystery in a while or ever <laughs> have you ever had a blimp mystery 
<laughs> I'm sure there's one there. People used to always take blimps. Um, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> so yes, we're we're excited to see where it uh, goes next. But I think it's a big recommendation from us both. So that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. You can check out our blog, which is moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com. And if you haven't done already, please do leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. And until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you to my co-host, Kim. And uh, we'll be back very soon with another episode. But until then, good night. Good night.